Well, uh, today we are going to look at Ephesians 2. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, we'll look at the text here in just a minute. We are continuing in our Remember series, and Ephesians 2 provides us with a lot of truths that are very important for us to remember. Ephesians 2 reminds believers of what our condition was before Christ saved us. And so that's one of the things we're going to see in the text. Ephesians 2 reminds us of what Christ did for us. And Ephesians 2 reminds us of how Christ was able to do what he did for us. It reminds us of exactly how we've been reconciled to God. It reminds us of the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ made uh, for us. And so that's what we're going to find in the text this morning. We are going straight to the text, Ephesians 2. We're considering the entire chapter, verses 1 through 22. And if you would, follow along. I'll read. You follow along as I read. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved." And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with uh, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. There's a lot there. We're not going to be able to, to properly cover all of it, but, but we're going to cover quite a bit of ground today. At the end of Ephesians 1, Paul uh, ended that chapter by writing about the power and authority of Christ. And at the start of Ephesians 2, he turns his attention to the believers, both Jewish and Gentile believers, at Ephesus. And so chapter 2 begins, as for you. So he's been talking about the power and the authority of Christ, and now he turns his attention to them, as for you. And in the first three verses, Paul reminds the believers then, and by extension, he reminds all of us who are here today and are believers of our condition before Jesus Christ saved us. He says in verse 1 that before Christ, believers were dead in your trespasses and sins. Trespasses are violations of specific commandments and laws. Sin is a word that encompasses all disobedience to God, all rebellion against God's rightful rule, all moral shortcomings, all the wrong that human beings do. And Paul reminds them that before Christ, they were sinners. And in verses 2 through 3, 2 and 3, he gives specifics of exactly the kind of lives they lived before Jesus saved them. He says that they followed the ways of this world. He tells them that they followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So understand this, Paul is reminding believers, you guys used to follow the world. You guys used to follow the ruler of this present world. Remember, believers, you used to follow the devil. And when they were numbered among the disobedient, when they were numbered among those who followed the rule of the devil, verse 3 says that they gratified the cravings of the flesh following its desires and thoughts. And so, before coming to Jesus, we are reminded that we were transgressors, we were sinners, we followed the ways of the world, we followed the ruler of the present world, the devil, we lived to gratify cravings of the flesh, we were being controlled by fleshly desires and thoughts. And Paul calls this being dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. And this is the word that the New Testament uses to describe all life apart from Christ. Dead. No spiritual life. No eternal life apart from Christ. The Bible says that people are dead. And then Paul adds on top of these sobering, sobering reminders, another reminder of believers' condition before Christ. He writes in verse 3, like the rest, like all of humanity, we were by nature deserving of wrath. This is a reference to the day of wrath 
There's the time in the future when God will once and for all deal with evil. Judgment will come upon every sin and upon every sinner who rejected the salvation that is available in Christ. We need to remember, church, that no one is getting away with anything. Either we hide our lives in Christ and his sacrifice covers our sins, or we face the consequences of bearing the responsibility for our own sins. But one of those two things is happening. One way or another, there is coming a day when every sin and every sinner will be judged. We can be judged on the merits of Christ, or we can be judged on our own merits, but there is coming a day when the wrath of God will be poured out. And those who are dead and their trespasses and sins receive the judgment that those trespasses and sins have earned them. This is the condition Paul reminds the believers they were in before Christ. Why would he do this? Is he trying to like bring us under condemnation that Christ has freed us from? Why, why is Paul reminding us of what, of what bad people we were before Christ came into our lives? I think there are at least two good reasons that we can come up with why he is doing that. And I want to share those with you today. Here's the first one. It's good for us to remember our previous condition because it creates appreciation in us for what Christ did for us. I think believers are often guilty, I know I'm often guilty, of taking Christ and his sacrifice for granted. It's good to remember the condition the hopeless condition that we used to be in, the pit that we were in that we couldn't get ourselves out of. Because as we remember our former condition, appreciation for what Christ has done grows in us, which should result in something. The more we appreciate what Christ has done, it should result in increased devotion and obedience to Jesus. Secondly, it's good for us to remember our previous condition because it reminds us of the current condition of everyone who has not received Christ. The world is today as we once were, apart from Christ, dead. Here's the cold, hard reality. Apart from Jesus Christ, every person in the world today is dead in their trespasses and sins. Every person alive today who is not in Christ stands deserving of wrath. But here's the really rough part. Not just deserving. But every person apart from Christ is actually on a collision course with wrath. It is coming straight at them. They are not going to be able to avoid it. We can put our heads in the sand. We can refuse to think about it. But it remains true that the wages of sin is death. This remains true no matter how unpopular it is in 2022. 
the entire world stands already condemned. They're not waiting to be condemned. The entire world stands already condemned before God and awaiting judgment. And someday judgment will come for all who have not received Christ. And so it's really good for us to remember that the world is as we once were. Dead in trespasses and sins, deserving of wrath, condemned, headed for judgment. Why? Because when we remember this, it, it should increase the likelihood that we will awaken from our slumber, that we'll pull our heads out of the sand, that we will see the faces of the dead and condemned. And will be moved with compassion and begin to do something to help people find Jesus. Paul reminds us we were dead in our trespasses and sins, deserving of wrath, a frightful condition. Verse 4 is a beautiful verse. But, it's often been called the divine conjunction. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. When we were dead and deserving of wrath, God had great love for us and God was rich in mercy toward us. God loved us at our worst. God was merciful toward us even at our most rebellious. God, even when we were dead and deserving of wrath, having wrath coming straight at us, even then, God had good intentions toward us. And this is still God's posture toward the world that's dead in their sins and deserving of his wrath. God has great love for the world. God is rich in mercy toward the world. It was true of us in our past, and it's true of the unconverted world today. They are dead. They are deserving of wrath, but they are loved by God. And God's posture toward the world, God's posture toward the worst sinner you can think of is a posture of mercy. And so, Love and mercy are to be our posture toward the world as well. Ephesians 2 reminds us of our condition before Christ saves us. It reminds us of what God did for us. And then I also want to highlight, I want to highlight six things that the text tells us God did for us. Verses 4 and 5, we begin to see this. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. There is no better description of what God does for people than this one. God brings dead people to life. That's what he does. He brings dead people to life. And so as we think about what God has done for us, we see six things in this text. This is the first one. God brings dead people to life. Through faith in Christ, we who are dead in our sins are now alive with Christ. 
We have his life. We have eternal life imparted to us. Verse 6, we see the next thing. And God raised us up with Christ. This is a reference to Christ's resurrection. And Paul consistently in his writings linked Christ's resurrection with our own resurrection. He said things like Christ was the first fruits of those who die and rise to life. He said things like Christ is the firstborn from among the dead. Christ's resurrection secured our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. God has made us alive with, with Christ. He has raised us up with Christ. And then verse 6 again. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Made us alive, raised us up, and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. You are, Christian, today a citizen of heaven. You are right now. You're not waiting to become a citizen of heaven. You are a citizen of heaven. Your future is secure if you remain in Christ. No power of death, as the song says, no scheme of man can ever snatch you from his hands. You are a citizen of heaven. Go ahead. Clap, please. Somebody clap. Whenever somebody does that, just take it as a cue. You're all supposed to do it. That would be great. <laughs> Made alive, raised up, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Each of these is an aspect of salvation. Verse 5, God made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. Verses 8 through 10, some of the most well-known verses in the Bible. First, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has saved us by his grace. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We didn't do anything to earn it. It's not of ourselves. It's not of works. It is a gift from God. The only obligation that rests on us is to receive the gift. And we receive the gift by faith, by recognizing our need of Jesus, believing on him, believing in his sinless life, his substitutionary death, his victory over sin, death, and the grave that was proven by his resurrection. What a great gift. We deserve wrath, but we receive salvation. We receive eternal life. God saves us because of his great love, because of his mercy. We receive this gift by faith alone in Christ alone. We don't have to earn it. We just, here's really what it comes down to. We get eternal life by just choosing to believe what is true. That Jesus is who he says he is. Is believe that, you get eternal life. Made alive with Christ, raised with Christ, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, saved by God's grace, and then we see another aspect of what God did for us in verses 11 through 13. Remember that formerly, 
you who were Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. This is a specific, Paul was writing to Jews and Gentiles. This is a specific reminder for Gentiles of our circumstances, our specific circumstances before Christ saved us. We were separated from God, separated from Christ. We were excluded from citizenship in Israel. We were foreigners to God's covenants with his people. And because we were not the people of God, we were without hope. We were without God. We were outside the covenant community. We were the people who were not the people of God. But now, in Christ, we have been brought near. We outsiders have been included in the citizenship of Israel. We have been adopted into the family of God. We've been adopted into God's chosen people, into the citizenship of Israel. And that's a really important thing. And it's the focus of the sixth thing we see that God has done for us from today's text. And the sixth thing is seen throughout verses 14 through 22. They explain that God created one new humanity out of two previously hostile groups, Jews and Gentiles. (coughs) That God reconciled both of these groups to God and he put an end to the hostility between the groups, by making them one in Christ. This is an amazing work of God. Because friends, there has never been greater hostility between groups of people than that between Jews and Gentiles. Hatfields and McCoys have nothing on the hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Verse 14 tells us that Christ has made the two groups one, has destroyed the barrier between them, the dividing wall of hostility. Verses 15 and 16 tell us that God's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of these two groups of people, thus making peace And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Verses 17 and 18 then make the point that both those who were far away from God, Gentiles, and those who were already near to God, Jews, had the same message of peace through Christ preached to them and both have access to the Father only through Jesus. God ended the hostility between Jews and Gentiles as both came to understand their need of Christ. They were made one in Christ. They came to see, this is so important, the way the hostilities ended is they they came to see, now they didn't do this perfectly, they still still fought every once in a while and, and had to work through things, but they came to see that Christ mattered more than the things that had separated them and the things that had made them hostile to one another. Christ mattered more. 
And that's really important. We're going to talk more about that here in a minute. So for people who were dead in sin and deserving of wrath, God did all of that that I've just shared with you. Made us alive, raised us up, seated us in the heavenly realm, saved us, brought us Gentiles into the citizenship of Israel and made one new humanity out of two previously hostile groups into the hostilities as both groups recognized their need of Christ and both groups were reconciled to God through Christ. And this brings us to the how of all of this. The title of today's message, Remember How You Were Reconciled to God. Now we're at the how. How were dead people waiting for wrath, able to be made alive with Christ, be saved, be reconciled to God? It's important that we never forget this, that we always remember how we were reconciled to God. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Christ. Amen. Verses 15 and 16. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Through the cross. All that God has done for us, required, was made possible by Christ's death on the cross, where he shed his precious life's blood and paid the penalty of sin that we all owed. And make no mistake, we each owed a penalty for sin. Here's what Isaiah 53, 6, the way it describes what Jesus did for us. It says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him, laid on Christ, the iniquity of us all. What we deserved was laid on Christ. Our sin was laid on him. He bore the penalty of those sins for us. Second Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 5.9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Make no mistake, wrath was coming for you, but you've been saved by the blood of Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to God. Then he died in our place on our behalf, had all of our iniquity laid on him. Second Corinthians says he was made sin for us. He did it so we could be justified by his blood, saved from God's wrath, and become the righteousness of God in Jesus. Jesus died an excruciating death on a Roman cross so that you and I People deserving of wrath could be saved from it, could be made alive, and could have eternal life. 
it's important for us to remember how we were reconciled to God. It is important for us to remember that it required the blood of Jesus for us to be reconciled. It is important for us to remember that it required his death on the cross for us to be reconciled. That is vitally important that we always remember. And I want to give three reasons. There are more, but I want to highlight three reasons today why it is so important that we remember the how of our reconciliation to God. Here's the first one. Remembering Christ's sacrifice, his shed blood for us on the cross, his death on the cross, and this is a theme that's already come up today, it's worth restating, should motivate appreciation for what Christ has done for us, which should result in increased obedience to Jesus. We can never allow the reality of Christ's sacrifice to recede into the memory files. It is important that we always remember and that we always keep Christ's sacrifice front and center in our thoughts. When we forget how costly our salvation was, we begin to take it for granted. We fail to properly appreciate it. Salvation is free to us, but it was extremely costly to Jesus. It cost the life of the only sinless person who has ever lived. It was costly to God. It required him to give his one and only son to die a bloody death on a Roman cross. We need to remember that the sentiment that we so often flippantly say, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. That's a true sentiment. But we need to remember that it was made possible, it was secured by the blood of Jesus through his death on the cross. Here's a true statement. It's true for me. It's true for you. God deserves greater obedience than any of us give him. God deserves greater obedience than any of us give him. And I, I think it seems, I have found it true in my life, that the more we remember, the more we reflect on, meditate on, keep it at the forefront of our thinking, the more we remember how costly our salvation was. As we intentionally keep the how of our reconciliation in our mind, it should motivate appreciation that should result in greater obedience to Jesus. And so it's important that we remember how we were reconciled. The second reason why it's important we remember how we were reconciled to God, remembering Christ's sacrifice reminds us that he has broken down dividing walls of hostility and that we're one with everyone who is in Christ. Sorry for that heavy breath into the microphone. <laughs> remembering the how of our reconciliation 
is supposed to motivate us. Listen to this. We're, 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 we're going to get... We're going to get down in real life now. We have been, but we're going to get even further down into real life right now. Remembering the how of our reconciliation is supposed to motivate us to end hostilities with each other and live in peace with each other. It's supposed to make us people who are inclined to overlook offenses. And when the offenses are too great to overlook, it's supposed to make us people who address them as brothers and sisters, not as enemies, and to be willing to forgive each other and move forward. The church of Jesus Christ today is being torn apart by things that should not make believers hostile to each other but believers are hostile toward each other anyway. Now let me be clear. There are things that are worth dividing over. There is error happening in parts of the church that is worth dividing over. There's no mistake about that. But believers today are giving in to hostilities and dividing over things that simply do not warrant it. Things like a person's view on immigration, things like someone's view regarding the war between Russia and Ukraine, things like whether it's okay to sing songs in church written by artists who ended up having a moral failure, things like what's your opinion of what happened on January 6th. And things like how enthusiastic or antagonistic someone is toward Donald Trump. Help us, Jesus. We can disagree on all of those things. But the only reason we will become hostile toward each other and allow things like what I just listed to cause us to erect walls of division between us is if we forget how we were reconciled to God. If we forget the price that Jesus paid for each of us. Friends, God did not make us one in Christ through the blood and cross of Jesus just to have, a, have us at each other's throats over debatable matters. You say, Brian, what's going on? Is there, is there something I've missed? I don't, think, I don't think so right now. I don't think so. But it's good to prepare when things are good for the times when they aren't. We've got an election season that we're in the midst of, and two years from now we're going to have another really really contentious election season. And it's time now to prepare our hearts to act like Christians and not partisan hacks. Someone saved by the blood of Jesus should not become your enemy because they hold a different opinion than you on a debatable matter. 
Jews and Gentiles in the early church maintained a lot of conflicting thoughts about things. And it wasn't perfect. I'm not pretending it was a peaceful utopia. But, but they intentionally went about allowing their differences to be laid aside because of their unity in Christ. And that's what we're supposed to do. We become hostile toward each other over debatable matters only when we fail to remember how we were reconciled to God. When we fail to remember the blood and cross of Christ that makes us one with each other. Jesus did not die on the cross, save you, place you in the body of Christ just for you to tear the body apart over Donald Trump, Joe Biden, an elephant, or a donkey. It's kind of cliche, but I like it. We don't serve an elephant or a donkey. We serve a lamb. That's what the church serves, is a lamb. And that leads to the third reason why it's important we remember how we were reconciled to God. Remembering Christ's sacrifice should result in our highest allegiance being to Christ and his kingdom. Highest allegiance, Christ and his kingdom. Now let me just say, love of country is a good thing. There is nothing wrong with loving your country. I love the United States of America. I'm so thankful this is where I was born. Our nation has huge problems. <laughs> They're getting worse. And there are things about this country that it's increasingly difficult to admire and feel good about. In spite of that, I remain thankful that I live in the United States of America. I'm thankful for my country. But friend, let there be no mistake. For a believer... Our ultimate citizenship is the kingdom of God and Christ and his kingdom are to be, are to have our highest allegiance. Those issues that I was just working through, talking about, I care about those issues as I'm sure you all do as well. I have opinions on those issues. I have opinions on immigration. I have views on elephants and donkeys and what's best for the nation. But all of that has a much lower allegiance than my allegiance to the kingdom of God. And, and I'm working to make sure that that is true in increasing measure. It shouldn't even be a close call for a believer. It should not be a close call for a believer. And I do think this needs said. Because even though most Christians would give lip service to this, I'm afraid that when the rubber meets the road, I think there are a lot of Christians who actually love the United States more than they love Jesus. I, I'm not passing any judgment on anyone here or even this congregation. I, I, I think we might be better than, than a lot of places are with this. I, I don't know, but I think. I'm at least giving us the benefit of the doubt. But as I look at the church world, as I look at the evangelical world, I am increasingly concerned that there are a lot of Christians who actually love the United States more than they love Jesus. And when that is true, friends, that is called idolatry. 
and your nation has become your God, it is a false God. We are one with those who are in Christ from all over the world. We are with them citizens of the kingdom of God, and that is our truest country. Christ and his kingdom is where our allegiance is to be placed. Friends, there is coming a day when there won't be any more United States of America. I'm not making a prediction of when, but that day is coming. There will be a day when there's no United States of America. But the kingdom of God is forever. When we remember Christ's sacrifice, it should result in our highest allegiance being to Christ and his kingdom. Remembering how we were reconciled to God helps us become more obedient to Jesus. It helps us become more united with each other. And it ensures that our highest allegiance is properly placed on Christ and his kingdom. And so it's really important that we remember how we were reconciled to God. Paul was writing to believers in Ephesians 2. But his writing also guides those who have not yet been reconciled to God on how they can go about being reconciled to God. The way Paul explains it to his readers is this. He says it's by grace through faith. It's not based on you or your merits. You don't have to earn your way with God. And of course, that's great news because none of us can. God loves you so much that he reconciles, he reconciles you to himself for simply recognizing that you need reconciled, seeing Jesus as the means of being reconciled, and then placing your faith, your trust in Jesus. He hasn't made it difficult on us. He hasn't made it hard. He hasn't said you have to fast for seven days or you have to, you have to walk across the country with a cross on your back. Or He hasn't said anything like that. He just said you place your faith and trust. John 3.16 says God gives eternal life to all who believe on Jesus. Romans 10.13 says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. These are all ways of expressing the simple gospel message that when you place from a, from a sincere heart, from an honest heart, when you place your faith in Jesus, you receive all the benefits of his life, his death, and his resurrection. If you're here today and you've never done that, I hope, I pray that you will turn to Jesus in faith today, that you'll receive him as your Savior, that you'll believe on him, that you'll just ask him to be your Savior. That's all you have to do. Let's stand. 